How's everyone doing today? As always, church is uh, just a privilege and a joy to be back with you here today. Um, so many things going on this week. A lot of people just uh, just a real stressful week for many of us. Um, and I'm just so happy that we are here together. And just the fact that we are, am I I'm seeing you here today? The fact that all of you guys are here today just means one thing: is that Jesus is better. It's a declaration in your life to say that Jesus is better. Um, right now. So whenever the strain of family problems happens, whenever there's arguments and stuff and you still come to church, Jesus is better. You declare that. The stress of the work week happens and everything is just crazy at work and you're stressed out and maybe you're just getting chewed out by your boss or whatever. You I just want Sunday off so I can just kind of relax and kind of be my own guy. And just gonna, But you come to church, it declares that Jesus is better in sickness or in health. Whenever we are feeling bad or feeling sick, wherever we're home with allergies or wherever we have someone in the hospital and we come, we put God first. We declare that Jesus is is better and over our own selfish desires to just stay home and literally just maybe veg out in front of the TV, watch a bunch of old 80s movies or whatever it is. When we come to church first, we declare Jesus is better. Amen? So thank you guys for being here and declaring that Jesus is better. It's a saying that we have here in Impact City Church. We sing it in a song, and it's kind of been a motto that we've had that Jesus is better in sickness or in health. In any, every victory, Jesus is better. Amen? All right, so if you would, please open your Bibles up to Mark 9, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark chapter 9. Uh, we'll be camping out in verse 30 uh, throughout the remainder of today. If you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and look at the edge of your row. We have Bibles there. Some of the scriptures will be up on the screen. And as always, you can go on the Facebook page. The scriptures for today just posted right now. While you're there, you can go ahead and check in the Facebook. Let people know you're here at Impact City Church. Let them know what God is doing here today. Say, hey, I just saw a kid get dedicated. I'm fixing to see this kid get baptized. It's going to be a great Sunday here at church. So, um... We are continuing our little mini-series within the greater series of the Gospel of Mark called The Norm, Blueprints for Normal Christianity. The Norm, Blueprints for Normal Christianity. And we've been in the Gospel of Mark since January, and we've learned a couple things. That the Gospel of Mark is actually cut into two pieces, right? The first part is Jesus teaching and saying, look, I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one. I am, I, I am God. I am the Savior of the world. And then the second half of the Gospel of Mark, really kind of cutting it around chapter 8, chapter 9, is when Jesus says that because I'm the Messiah, I must suffer and I must die for the world. So I am the king, I am the savior, but I must die. We usually call it the king and the cross. And in between those two kind of chapters of Mark, between those two little subtitles of Mark, there's a time where Jesus actually takes his disciples aside and for about two chapters, he starts teaching them kind of what the norm is for Christianity, what the norm is for disciples, and what it means to be a disciple, and what that's going to look like, and what they should know in order to teach other people how to be disciples of Christ. And so I look at that, and I think that's kind of like a blueprint for us. If we were to look at the Bible and kind of see, like, what should I as a Christian be believing in? What should I as a Christian be learning? And what should I as a Christian be kind of standing upon? What are my foundations? It would be found here between chapter 9 and chapter 10 of the Gospel of Mark. And so Jesus is literally giving us a blueprint for normal Christianity. 
the things we all should know. And we said last week that these aren't things, this is a blueprint for normal Christianity. This isn't radical Christianity. Like some of the things we might be teaching about, you might say, man, that's kind of, that's kind of radical. It shouldn't be. Like the things we talk about should be like really just kind of come natural for those who believe in Christ. Because God has changed our heart. Now it might be radical to the world around us. The world around us might look at what Jesus is saying and say like, man, that's kind of crazy. That's kind of radical. Kind of like last week when we talked about the first blueprint we talked about was that having weak faith in Jesus is better than the strongest faith we can have in ourselves. That weak faith in Jesus is still better than the strongest faith we can have in ourselves. And basically saying that even though we might not believe or we might be struggling to kind of... um, kind of, uh, you know, really trust God and have faith in God, that little bit of faith that we do have is still better than trusting in our own abilities to get the job done. It's better than saying that I trust myself to get me out of this, this situation of debt, or I trust myself to get me out of this bad marriage, or I trust myself to get me out of this, you know, whatever situation I'm in, I'm going to do whatever I think feels right, whatever I feel my heart is leading me to do, that that is not good enough, and it's even better just to say I trust Jesus and just a little bit, because he says that the faith, if you have faith as much of a, as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So just a little bit of weak faith and God is better than strong faith in ourselves. And this week we'll look at another blueprint to normal Christianity. We're going to be looking and talking about greatness, and more specifically, redefining what greatness is in the Bible. What is greatness? And so let's get started. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 9, verse 30. It says this. It says, And they went from there, and they passed through Galilee. Now where did they come from, real quickly? Where did they come from? Last week they were uh, teaching and they had just finished healing a demon-possessed boy. And the disciples were kind of confused because they couldn't heal this boy. So we learned last week that it was because they didn't have enough faith in God. that They were trying to heal this boy on their own account. They were, cause try, they had, earlier than that chapter, they had actually healed people. They had been given the power to heal people. So when Jesus was gone, these, this guy comes up with this demon-possessed boy. And they're like, man, can you heal this child? And the disciples are like, man, we got this. And they tried doing it. And it's not working. And we found out it's because they had no faith in God. They were more so trusting in their own abilities. And you're going to see further on in this chapter that they have this kind of um, conceited, this kind of self-entitled attitude about themselves. And we're going to talk about that when it gets to greatness. And so it says, um, and they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And they did not want anyone to know. uh, He did not want anyone to know. This is Jesus. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask. We find Jesus yet again speaking about suffering and how he must suffer for the world and how he's going to have to be killed and he's going to have to endure this intense pain for us. And we saw in chapter 8 that, that there was a shift in the teaching of Jesus. We talked about this, that he went from being, um, I'm the Messiah to the Messiah must die. And so he is continually just saying this to his disciples. Every few verses in this next couple of chapters, he keeps saying, I am the Messiah, I must die. I am the Messiah, I must you know, be killed. I am the Messiah, must suffer for the, for the sins of many. The Messiah must be murdered and, and, and just you know, flogged and, and tortured and be put on the cross. The Messiah must go through this. 
He has to go through this. And the disciples are just so perplexed by this. Every time he says it, they kind of look at him like, are you serious? Like, like, I, I, like, when did that happen, you know? Like, when did this pop up? Like, I, 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 we were thinking one way, and now you're saying you're going to die, and they're just, uh, just perplexed by this again. And they still don't get it. They don't understand when Jesus says, I am the Messiah, I must die. They still don't get it. This is probably why Jesus is having to repeat these things to them over and over again. I am the Messiah. I must suffer. I must die. And he's saying, he says things like this to the disciples. He says, I am the Messiah. And they're like, yeah, you're the Messiah. Remember Peter confessed it back in chapter 8. You're the Messiah, Jesus. I mean, awesome. And then he says, the kingdom of God is near. And they're like excited for the kingdom that's about to come. And they know that Jesus is the Messiah. And they're like, yes, the kingdom of God is here. And then Jesus says, but first I must suffer and die. And they're like, what? Like, well, hold up. I thought you said you were the, you know, the kingdom was coming, the kingdom was near. What happened? See, the disciples had this misconception of what the kingdom meant. They had this huge misconception. They didn't fully understand what that meant. And the Old Testament scriptures had described the Messiah as a king and a savior and the ruler over Israel who was going to free the Jewish people from, you know, the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so when the, when the disciples heard that Jesus was this Messiah, they had this in their mind that there was going to be great prosperity following Jesus' overruling of this new empire. And they had this idea that, that when Jesus is now the, the king and the ruler of Israel, they think that, that he is going to have guys who he needs to kind of, you know, kind of delegate things to. And so the disciples believe that, hey, you know what? You know, there's 12 of us. You know, he's going to need some help. You know, we'll become like probably governors or something within the land. And we're going to be great people in the country. And everyone will look towards us because we're running with Jesus that, that we're going to be great. And everything's going to be awesome. If you're a disciple, that's what you're thinking. In fact, look here in verse 33. We're going to continue reading. Verse 33 says, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing along the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. As a disciple of Jesus, knowing that Jesus was the Messiah, they knew that there was a moment in time that was going to come where they could become something great in the world. They knew because Jesus was great and Jesus was awesome, they, they knew that they were going to become great. And so they argued over it. They had the tenacity to actually argue in front of Jesus and to kind of, you know, you know as they're walking, just openly argue about, you know, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest of all of us? We're, we're, all, we're, all, we're all of us. In fact, they didn't say that who's going to be great. They said who's going to be the greatest. So they know that all of them are going to be great, but there's always the desire for one of them to be greater than all the rest of them. And by the way, that is a natural desire for all of us. Amen? We all desire that. We all desire to be great in some way. And it's a good desire. Amen? We all desire to be great. So most of us desire to be great at work. And we'll dedicate hours and hours of our life to our job. And we'll dedicate just actually hours of our life and even hours of our family's life to this job. And we'll miss birthdays and we'll miss Christmases. And we dedicate our whole life to this job because why? Not because we just want to provide, but a little bit in us, we want to be great at work. 
That's a good thing. It's a good work ethic to have. Uh, we want to be great at school. Many of us are students, and as students in school, we want to devote our time to studies in between parties, and we want to devote our time to studies and, um, you know, trying to get to know and have a pass the, the test so we can get the great, perfect grade point average in college because college is money, and some of our parents can't afford to just pay for all of our college, and so we have to pay for it, so now we have to do great in school, uh, great in sports. That's not me, and so many of us want to do great in sports, and so we push ourselves. We, we're up at like 4 a.m. We're running the track and trying to, to get better at what we do. We're trying to perform affect our skill. Some of us are great at fitness. You're a workout monster, and so you're constantly working out. You're taking some type of, like, protein things to, like, do the little, like, little grill marks on your stomach, and you're trying to, like, do all these great things because you want to be great at what you do. Uh, some of us are great at music. Some of us are not. Some of us can't sing, but I'm not going to say that. Um, some of us are great at parenting. Well, some of us are not, but, you know, it's a miracle our kids are still alive. You know, we all want to be great. Even in parenting, we want to do the best as parents. We want to raise our children, you know, right in the ways of the Lord. We want to be dedicating our kids back to God. We want to do things right. And at the end of the day, we just want our kids to be proud of us. And we want our kids to know we tried our best for them. We all want to be great. I know for me, there's been countless times that I push myself to reach a certain goal so that I could become the greatest to whatever that goal was. Countless times. Uh, for one, uh, when I was in high school, I wanted to be one of the greatest guitar players in W.B. Ray High School. I didn't say the world because I was keeping it real because I knew Jimmy Page. I could never get to that level, you know? But I wanted to be one of the greatest guitar players in my high school. For my four years there, I wanted to be one of the greatest guitar players. And I literally would just do whatever it took to be that great guitar player. And I would, I would take my guitar. As I was watching TV at home, I would literally just be plucking the strings, just going up and down, working scales up and down, and practicing chords, and just constantly trying to perfect my skill. Uh, but it wasn't enough. I was playing with my dad on the weekends and in cantinas and stuff like that. You know, I was always, you know, doing something. I was learning both Spanish music. I was learning rock music. I was learning country music. You know, I was learning all these different genres, flamenco and, you know, ska type music that was real big back in the late 90s and I was y'all don't even know what ska is probably if you don't you should go look it up my my boss tones great band anyway so I was learning all these different styles of music you know and uh as I was learning it just it wasn't enough I was playing literally I had a guitar in my hand probably you know 90% of the day I probably slept with the guitar in my bed that's how close I wanted to be to this thing and I wanted to perfect my skill but it wasn't enough it wasn't enough to just to practice guitar. I wanted to be around the great guitar players of the school. Which brings me to this other point is that there's always going to be someone better than you. There's always going to be the person who you have to uh, desire to be like. And so uh, I was desired to be around greatness. Not only did I want to be great, I wanted to be constantly around greatness. And so there was this one guy at school who just so happened to be one of my friends. And I actually, when I found out how good he was at guitar, I was like, oh, man, I suck. You know, and so I literally would spend every, you know, lunch period with this guy. We would take our guitars and we'd go play like in the back of the school and just kind of hang out and jam out during lunch. And, and we would even to the point where some days we would bring like our amplifiers and we would unplug the Coke machines and plug in our amplifiers and jam out in the band hall. And that's just kind of what we did, you know. And so we spent so much time together on the weekends. We would hang out and I found myself thinking to myself, 
man, I wonder what he thinks of me. You know, like, like this guy is so great. He is so awesome. And I'm just trying to be like this guy. What does he think of me? Does he like me? Does he, does he think I'm good? Am I good enough to be in a band with him? You know, am I, is he even, has he even crossed his mind that we could take over the world? You know, like, like with dueling guitar battles, like, like what does he, what does he think about me? And so it actually, you know, it, it is a, it's a desire of all of us to be great in this life. Amen? We all desire to be great. I don't, I don't meet too many people who say, man, I don't even care. I am who I am. No, you want to be great. You want to hang out with, if you're in sports, you want to hang out with the best athlete because they're going to train harder and harder and push you to train harder and harder like them. At work, if you want to be the best at work, you hang out. If you want to be a boss, you hang out with your boss more, basically. If you want to be a doctor, you hang out with doctors. If you want to be a millionaire, you hang out with millionaires. If you want to be great, you surround yourself with greatness. It's plain and simple. And so Jesus, his response to this is kind of a surprise to me. Because whenever I see Jesus, I always kind of, whenever he would respond to the disciples, it's usually like a killjoy. He usually kind of like chops their legs off and is just like, well, you shouldn't really do that. Or like, you know, I, I rebuke you, get away from me, Satan, for saying that or something. And so whenever the disciples were talking and they wouldn't, they didn't want to tell Jesus that, what they were arguing about, they probably had back in their mind, like, man, if he finds out we're arguing about who's the greatest, he's going to like totally give us a lesson on how we should be, how, you know, all this and that, right? Well, Jesus actually encourages greatness in the kingdom. He actually encourages their greatness, and he says, no, that's a great thing that you guys are aspiring to be is. The problem is, it's not the definition of greatness that the disciples thought they had. Jesus is encouraging greatness, but not the same greatness that the disciples think that they have. Let's keep reading. This is verse 35. Verse 35. He says, and he sat down. And he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and, of all and serve all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. For us, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. I'm sorry, I jumped across. Whoever receives me, this is the last line, whoever receives me, one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. I'm going to have to edit that part out of the podcast now. Jeez. Ah. And so Jesus gathers his disciples around, right? He gathers his disciples around, and he encourages them, them to be great. He encourages them. He redirects their aim and told them how to be great. He redirects what they're trying to do, and he says, no, this is how to be great. He knows as humans, we're hardwired to be great. We want to be great, and he has created us to be that way. When he designed us and he designed each and every one of us here today, he put into our hearts his desire to be better and greater than what we were when we first started. That's whole salvation right there. That's the gospel, to be something different that is better than what we were. It's a drive. It's a passion. It's a desire. But it is to receive greatness from God and not from the world. That's the, that's the catch here. To be great in God and not great in the world. And the disciples were waiting and wanting this greatness from the world. And he knew that. 
They wanted to be known as great and powerful rulers of the kingdom, and Jesus knew that. They wanted to be known as the most popular people in all of Israel, and Jesus knew that that's where their hearts were. They wanted the success and the the prosperity of, of all the great things that could come from Christ, and they wanted it to be known amongst the world that they were the wealthiest and the healthiest and the best people out there. They wanted to be known that their hearts were focused on greatness from the world versus greatness from God. But there's a problem when we seek greatness from the world. The problem is, is that the, the greatness from the world, the satisfaction we get from that will never sustain us. It will never sustain our desire for greatness. The greatness from the world and the, the, the success and the, 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 the satisfaction we get from people will never sustain our desire to be great. It's like filling a bucket of water that has a big hole in the bottom. You will never fill that bucket up. There will always be someone better than you to be compared to. Like my friend who played guitar. There's always someone better than you at work. There's always that employee of the month that he has his picture on every single month for like the last six years. And you're like, that? You know, like there's always someone better than you. There's always someone, uh, you know, relative that's got more than you, that, that, that's got this in you, and you just keep comparing yourself to their greatness, and it's never going to satisfy you because you want to be like them. It's not going to satisfy you even when you get there because there's always someone better. There will always be some achievement that you haven't achieved yet, some goal in life that you have never reached yet. There's always something more. You might say, I want to skydive into the Grand Canyon. And you go skydive into the Grand Canyon, you're like, eh, it was awesome. I'm going to jump off of Mount Everest next time. You know, like, I want something bigger and greater. Whatever goals you have in life. I want to become, you know, you know I want to, you know, I think Dave Ramsey said I wanted to be a millionaire at the age of, you know, you know 30 years old. And it was something more for him. There's always something more involved in, in, in that goal. Um, you always have a new goal to meet. You'll always be someone, uh, there always will be someone better looking than you. I find this a lot with women, ladies. How many times do you compare yourselves to every person you walk past in the mall? Oh, look at her. You know, like, mm-mm. You know, I don't, close, shut your mouth, boy. You know, like, you know, like, there's always someone that you're comparing to. Like, oh, my gosh, I love her hair. Oh, my gosh, I love her boots. Oh, my gosh, I love this about her. I love this about her. I wish I had that. Why can't I be skinny? Why can't I have this? You know, you're always comparing yourself to someone because you believe that beauty has to be an outward expression and if you can achieve this great look that you think you're going to be satisfied but the problem is is that there's always someone better looking than you i know it's going to sound weird there's people out there better looking than me just saying you know and so there's always something the paycheck can always get bigger you think man if i make at least three you know, hundred grand a year i'll be happy well you know what you make a hundred grand a year you're still going to be miserable like, oh, if I just make 250000 a year, I'll be okay. You know, you make two hundred fifty. There's those pilots who fly amazing airlines, and they're still miserable. Comedians who, who and actors who make millions of dollars a year, and they are just miserable. See, there's always something better. There's always something more you can do. Um, you know, the high can always get better. Or there's always some type of satisfaction you get, and it's temporary. And it, it gets, there's the desire to have more and more and more because you're seeking it from the world pursuing greatness from the world will leave you unsatisfied always leave you unsatisfied so jesus redefines what greatness is to them and he actually encourages them to run toward his form of greatness 
He says, if anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all. If anyone is first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So greatness in the eyes of God is not defined by your level of power uh, in your professional position in life, in your job title, or your, you know, your, your, your title of your captain of your, of your team or whatever it is. It's not defined by who you are and what you've done. Greatness in, in the eyes of God is defined in other ways. It gets much bigger. It's defined by how you serve others. Greatness in God is defined by how you serve others. But it gets better, right? Because God always has a twist and everything. It's because we all can serve other people, right? And we all love to serve other people. Many of us will serve. If you're married, you're going to serve your wife. I rub Sarah's feet every night. Why? Because it makes her happy and happy wife, happy life. You know, if you're not married, you need to write that down. Happy wife, happy life. Okay? Very good. Very good to know. You know, so we serve others because it makes us feel good. There's a personal benefit for when we serve others. Many of us will, will go to the point where we want to serve someone else in front of our boss at work because it makes us look better. Because you're like, there's a new guy. He doesn't know how to, like, you know, put boxes together. And you're like, man, forget that guy. I'm busy. And who comes your boss? Let me go help this guy out, right? Like, hey, check it out. I'm helping out the new guy over here. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm serving him. You like my, you know, my promotional papers are on your desk. You know? And you're serving him. Why? Because it looks better, okay? Many of us would like to serve, um, you know, at an outreach that has great, you know, news coverage, right? So, like, you know, Channel 3 comes on, you know, and they're like, okay, Triple I, whatever the news station is on, and you're in the back there, you're like, hi, I'm giving shoes to kids, you know, like, look at me, and then you're like, I'm, you're like did you see me on, K- on the news on, on Channel 10? Like, did you see me? I was like, I was handing shoes out. Or many of us, many of us will like go to the point where we will feed a homeless person and then just rave about it and brag about it on Facebook, hashtag serving is loving. You know, like, oh, I fed this homeless guy like he's some type of stray dog or something. He was so cute. He kind of smelled, but I gave him a, some, some, some deodorant spray. And I felt so good about myself because I, I gave him a Subway. You know, or I gave a bomb a water burger, and this is so cool. God is so great. Look how awesome He is because I get to serve. And in reality, yeah, you're glorifying God. You think you're glorifying God, but you're really building yourself up because you're bragging about what you did. And look, and there's nothing wrong. Listen, let me let me let me define this. There's nothing wrong with talking about how great our God is, and when we do something great for God, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think it's great because the world sees what the hands and feet of God are doing. But there is something incredibly wrong when we do it for our own selfish gain. There's nothing wrong with talking about how awesome our God is and how great, you know, a church can be. I brag about this church all the time because we love and we serve people. But I have to always check my motives because I don't want to ever become the guy who, who says something on Facebook and I get a bunch of likes and I get all excited about it. Happened to me last night. Whenever I, I, I had this moment, I thought about everything going on. I did this post last night, and before you know, I'm getting, boom, all these likes. People are actually, like, you know, reposting my post. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And then before you know, I was like, wait a minute. I'm preaching about pride. I'm preaching about greatness. Holy cow, you know, I'm, like, falling into the same pit. Thank you, Jesus, for your German illustration that you used me for. You know, like, I, have, I started feeling good. It's like, wow, people are reposting my post. I feel good. Maybe they think I'm smart. Maybe they think I'm a good pastor. Maybe I fooled them. You know, like whatever it is, maybe this is actually happening here. But we have to be careful of what we do with our greatness and how we seek our greatness. Jesus tells us just how to serve 
and it looks nothing like the way we would like to serve. He says this, he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So he says to serve people who would treat you like children do, who will receive this child like they receive me. Treat people and serve people the way children will treat you. Newsflash, children don't treat you very well. If you have kids, if you have kids, children don't treat you very well at all. If you're kids, you know this is true. The fact that they expect it like it's your job, they expect you to serve them like it's your job, leads them not to treat you very well. Listen, there was nothing great about changing a messy diaper. When I'm wiping that stuff up, you know, I don't feel very great. When you're, you know, the beautiful little daughter, I remember when Skylar first, like, you know, when I, and she first blew up a diaper, I was like, how can something so beautiful create something so ugly? You know, I couldn't believe that. And so I'm cleaning her up and thinking, there's nothing great. This is so humbling to do this, to serve someone in that manner. Um, there's nothing great about cleaning up some kid's room, turning around, walking to the kitchen, getting a glass of water because you're so tired, walking back in the room, and it's even worse than when it was when you first cleaned it because they come in there, and they're like, Barbie dolls, and they just like knock everything off the wall, Legos, and they throw them up in the air, and they just, and you, oh my gosh, like my kids. There's nothing great about that. Every time you buy them something, it's usually not what they want. There's nothing great about that. When you buy them food, you're like, I didn't want the hamburger. I wanted the chicken McNuggets. I, you know, but like I asked you, you said hamburger, but now I want the chicken McNuggets. You know, like there's nothing great about that. They don't, they don't say thank you. And when they become teenagers, it gets worse. I was a youth pastor for many years. Some of our kids, oh my gosh, I'm just saying. You bust your butt working overtime to buy them the latest pair of Nikes or Pumas or whatever they want, Doc Martens, whatever. You don't even wear Doc Martens anymore. And, you, know, uh, you bust your butt and you work a bunch of overtime to get the money to buy them, whether you're a single mom or whatever. And then you go to buy them and, and then they want the, the next model. That's like 50 bucks more. You don't have the money. And they complain because now you're getting, you won't buy them what they want or a purse, or whatever it is. You're like, but I wanted the Gucci purse. You're like, girl, I'll get you the Circle K purse. Like, you know, I'll get you the 7-Eleven purse, you know? Whatever it is, they just complain. Or if you're like me, if you're like me, personal, just confession, your dad buys you one of the most amazing trucks that you've ever seen. The truck that you wanted, your dream truck, a 97 Black Z71 4x4, oh, and then you go screw it up by not taking care of it, and you sink it in the Gulf of Mexico. I was the worst kid for doing that. Ungrateful, defiant, bad. And Jesus says, you need to serve people like that. Jesus says, you need to serve people. Serving kids will never get you greatness. Serving people who will trash your stuff will never get you the greatness you deserve. But Jesus says, when you serve people like that, then you will be great. Serve those who will never say thank you. Serve people who will never tell you thank you. Serve people who will never praise you publicly for what you did. People who will never go on Facebook and be like, OMG, thank you so-and-so for bringing me food. Or thank you so-and-so, so-and-so, whatever it is. Thank you for that. Serve people who may hurt you. Serve people who may hurt you physically or emotionally. Serve people who will break your heart. 
As a pastor, I know that very true because when I, we can invest so much time into a couple or a family or, or someone and then they just continue to live a life in sin and then literally I have had nights where I just cry myself to sleep. It breaks us. Serve people who will break you. Serve people who may use you for things. You know that that person is just bumming off of you. You know that person is going to walk all over you. But in order to be a bridge from them to Jesus, you have to be willing to get walked on. Serve people who will walk all over you and, and, and may use you. Serve people who may steal from you. Serve people who may steal from you. The other day when we had the outreach at the Palms, uh, Skylar was in the jumpy house, right? And Sarah says, like, babe, guess what? Something happened. I said, what? She goes, Skylar's shoes got stolen. Okay. And she's like, no, you understand. Those are like her 20-some dollar shoes that we got from the Disney store. Like some kid literally saw them, like, oh, Ariel, and then put them on and walked off with them. Welcome to ministry. Serve people who are hurting you. I remember one time we had someone staying in the house one night, a friend of ours. This is long before when we first got married, before kids. You know, and we had, we were, I think we were just like recently married. And a friend came down from out of town. He needed a place to stay. I hadn't seen him in a few years. And we were asleep in our room, right? And I hear something in the room, and I look up, and I open my eyes, and he's going through my, my, my stuff in my drawer. He's looking for money. He's looking for stuff to, to take. Needless to say, I told him, you give me anything that you took from me and get out of here. But those are the people we were called to serve. Those are the people we're called to, to reach out to. Those are the people that we are called to be selfless to. Problem is, is that people like this are hard to serve, amen? <laughs> people like this are hard to serve, amen? Amen. It's hard to serve people who would do this to you. Serious question. Who or what would possess anyone to serve someone who might hurt them? To serve someone who might steal from them? Serve someone who might use them? It's hard, especially to serve people who we don't like. And many of us might struggle with this, like, well, I'm not going to help that person because they know the boat they're in. They know the situation they're in. They know that that's where they get, that they, their bad choices led them to that spot in their life. That's their problem. And a lot of people will say that. A lot of people will say, like, man, I don't want to serve that person because, you know what, they don't believe like I do. They, 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 they don't believe, or you know what, I don't want to serve that person because, you know what, last time I talked to that person, he was totally against God. If he's against God, I don't want to do anything with him. I don't want to show him who God really is like. Many of us will not want to serve people like that. The problem is that none of us want to do that, but something has to change in order for us to be able to serve people like that. Because I'll tell you what, before my, my salvation, I would have never served people like that. I wouldn't. Because I always would get hurt. Something has to change, and that something is our heart. Our heart has to change so that we can serve Jesus and serve people for Jesus the way that Jesus wants us to serve them. Understanding how wicked we are without Jesus. Understanding how much we really need Jesus and how helpless we are without Jesus. 
It is only then that we truly understand the, the sinfulness in our own lives that we're able to look at the sinfulness of other people's lives and say, I agree, or I, I know that you're in trouble, I know that you're in need, and because God worked a great work in my life, allow me to work a great work in your life. And hopefully, through that great work, somehow you will see the heart of Jesus Christ in my actions, and I will be glorified and great things will happen to me on this other side of heaven. Because my reward is not here on earth. We need to be changed so we can actually do what he is telling us to do. Jesus is coming to rescue us for greatness, but to make us new, we need to be changed first. He modeled all of this for us, though, in the Bible. Amen? He modeled this whole thing for us in the Bible. When he became last, despised in the eyes of the world, when people started to hate him for what he was doing, he modeled what it meant to become last in the world. He was a servant of all, including those who would not say thank you, including those who did not respect him, including those who did not like him, including the one who would betray him with a kiss. He was serving his disciples and serving the people who would eventually lead him to the cross and crucify him. But yet he served them willingly, washing their feet, healing their sick, raising their dead. He served the people who would eventually murder and kill him. And he did it because he wanted to show us what it was like to be a servant of all. He did this so that you and I could be redeemed and highly favored in the eyes of God. He did this so that we can receive greatness that comes from God. He did this for us. He has secured a position for us, significant and so great, that makes anything here on earth look like nothing. And he did that through the cross. He secured a place in heaven for us if we so choose to believe and walk with him. And that position in heaven is so much greater than anything you can ever, you know, ask or imagine for here on earth. I'll leave you with this. This is Revelation chapter 22. If you want to turn there with me, Revelation chapter 22. Start on verse 3. This is just a glimpse of what it was, it's going to look like for us in heaven how great it's going to be for us in heaven. It should serve as a, as, a, as a push, as a desire, as a goal for us to achieve. It says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more, and they will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. They will reign forever and ever. That is the greatness we should strive for. This life is temporary. If I was to take a rope and wrap it around this room and show you how much your life is, and this rope is your eternal lifeline. Your time here on earth will probably be a little mark about that big, and the rest of this rope would be eternity. Do you want greatness now, or do you want greatness for eternity? The greatness of God will never compare to the greatness of this world. Greatness from others in life can offer us a nicer neighborhood with less crime and, you know, less, you know, vandalism. It might be able to offer us a nicer car. Greatness for us might be able to offer us a good job and be a great family and all that. And that's good things to have, and we praise God for those things. But those things will never satisfy our eternal need for an awesome Savior and greatness in heaven. 
and it never will. Greatness that comes from God gives us a spot in the world where there is no sin, there is no pain, there is no death, and there is no evil. Where do you find your greatness? Do you find it in the world or do you find it in your Heavenly Father? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for um, this, just this day and this congregation. God, thank you for all that you've been doing here in this church. And I pray that you would just continue to humble our hearts. God, that we may see greatness through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that the sacrifice on the cross and the journey to the cross is evidence and just a, a roadmap for us to understand how we should live our life. A life that is constantly leading us to be closer to you by serving others, Lord. Serving people who may not agree with us. Serving people who may not believe like us. Serving people who may not, um, um, you know, hurt us, who may, who may do things against us. But we may be selfless in our acts of love for others. God, may those people know that our acts of love are genuine. Lord, may we, while we may not agree with everyone, may we, while we may disagree with the way certain people are and the way certain people believe, may your gospel and your light shine through our actions and our love. May they know that it's because we truly love them that we tell them what we do. Because we truly love them is because that's why we serve the way we serve. God, be with everyone here today. Lord, give us opportunities to be just like your son Jesus in the way we live. Give us opportunities to, to love others and to go out and to, to reach this world for Christ and to make an impact in the mission field of Corpus Christi, Texas. God, we love you, Lord. We praise you. It's in Christ's name we humbly pray. All God's people said, amen. Let's pr- clap for the Lord.